everybody, and welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations, a platform to educate and inspire. My name is Tafad Zandlovu, and thank you for tuning in for the show. On this show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world, individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I hope that you enjoy the episode, and I'd love to hear some of your feedback after listening to the episode, either by writing us a review or by heading over to the website, impactfulconversations.co.za, and heading over to the Contact Us section. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In episode 13, I'm excited to be joined by Tanya Fenter. She currently works in management consulting in the field of digital transformation strategy, and she's currently executing projects across Africa, helping companies to digitally transform with people at the center. So this particular episode, there are a few articles available for you to read, particularly on digital transformation in the South African context, as well as on on creating shared value. To get access to these articles, head over to the Impactful Conversations website. That's impactfulconversations.co.za and head over to the episode section and go to Tanya's episode, which is episode 13. There you'll see the links to the articles over there. We'd also love to hear some some feedback from you in terms of one, how you found the episode and how it impacted you positively. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the digital transformation strategy in South Africa in terms of where we are currently and what we need in order to digitally transform in our economy. We'd also love to get your thoughts on how you find the concept and principle of creating shared value in our economy and how you think we can practically do that in today's context. This episode is rich and full of knowledge and Tanya shared some incredible wisdom with us. So sit back, relax, grab a notebook and enjoy the show. Hello Tanya, how are you? Hey Tafa, nice to be here, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining uh, episode 13 of Impactful Conversations. It's, um, it's great to have you here and for everybody watching, thank you so much for joining us. We have Tanya Fenter here, who's a digital transformation analyst. Um, she has extensive experience in marketing and sales, and I'm thrilled to have her here. We're going to be talking a little bit about Tanya's life, her career. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about digital transformation in South Africa, particularly in the South African context, as well as a little bit about creating shared value. So, Tanya, I'm really excited to to dig into to these topics with you. I know we, we're recording this on a very crispy Sunday afternoon in, in Johannesburg. Cold <laughs> today, actually, very cold. Like it's it's the onset of the cold front, and people in Cape Town are telling me that um, yeah, it's it's quite bad. I I know a couple of people who bear the brunt of it over the weekend. But um, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the show, and I'm really excited to to chat to you. So where we typically start with um, an episode is you know we we typically start off just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I just want to understand from you, you know, so where are you from um, what did you study and what are you passionate about? Cool. So um, I'm uh, Josie, born and bred. i um, been here, grown up my whole life, uh, went to school here. And, uh, you know, after school, sort of came out of matric with quite a good matric, did, did pretty well um, academically and felt quite a lot of pressure to do something quite uh, academic and technical. So mm-hmm. that's and I decided um, I'm going to go and study chemical engineering at UCT. Okay. 
So before that, the kind of rationale behind it was that I always wanted to be in business and uh, to have an engineering degree does give you the edge. And um, yeah. I really actually loved maths and science at school. I was super passionate about it. So mm. I thought, can you go do that? I'd love it. Let's see how it goes. Um, so I went to UCT. Actually, that's where, where I met you. Um, in yeah, I remember. The very first day, I was just blonde girl in engineering. <laughs> I remember, um, yeah. In that, I think it was Snape, Snape Lecture Theatre, right? I think it was our first class. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, so I, uh, I packed up everything and said, if I, don't, if I don't go to Cape Town and experience it, because I've, I'd always wanted to go, mm. you know, if I don't do it then, I'm not going to do it. So I went there and did it, and um, I actually really didn't enjoy it. It wasn't something that um, I'd get up every day and feel very good about. I, I was quite unhappy, quite depressed. Um, I didn't feel that it followed through on what my idea of what my life wanted to be like. Um, and I yeah. couldn't see my, my sort of purpose and dream coming through there. And I wasn't really passionate about it. So I then um, made quite a tough decision. Um, I know that, you know, it was quite difficult for me to come to the terms of the fact that this wasn't, was the wrong decision. Um, and I could have stayed there and could have carried on. But I, I'm one of those people that believe that every single day you should wake up and do something that you love. And, yeah. uh, shouldn't be living to the weekend all the time so I packed up my stuff and after first year I decided to reimagine what my purpose would be and what I would want to do with my life and um, obviously I've always been passionate about business and I, I love business but I didn't want to stay in the traditional space traditional tertiary space yeah. so I investigated a couple of options after first year um, I'd always loved the idea of Vega and um, Vega is a brilliant um, brand leadership school Mm-hmm. And come up with quite a cool degree, uh, become in strategic brand management. And it seemed quite awesome to me, new uh, new curriculums. Um, they were always very much on the forefront of innovation. So I, I was very interested in it. And I wanted to yeah. stay away from the traditional become um, sort of sphere, you know, staying, staying in Cape Town. I didn't want to stay in Cape Town. I didn't want to necessarily go to Tux and stay in that traditional space. I wanted mm-hmm. to be in a, quite a challenging new environment. And Vegas also quite smaller. Uh, small scale and uh, yeah, so I found myself there doing uh, my BCom, and so I absolutely love this. With that, I mean, so just before we we sort of touch on on that part of the journey, and we actually had a question from one of our listeners about you know, so how did it actually feel to to drop you know chemical engineering? I mean, to to sort of go through that process where you had to say, you know what, actually this is not right, this is not what I need to do, um, and this is actually not my path, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, um, and to make that change, how did that feel? So it, it was quite daunting, um, I'm not going to lie, I, you know, to to have to think about your decision and realise yeah. that it's the wrong one, and it's quite, a, it's quite a daunting process to go through, but I think it's an important one. Um, I think the reality is that we don't live perfect lives, and that's it's okay to make decisions and then realize that they were the wrong ones. Yeah. Um, but I say that it's the wrong one in the sense that it wasn't the right path for me, but am I grateful that I made the choice to go to Cape Town? Of course. Mm. I wouldn't have realized that it wasn't the, part, that it wasn't the, the right sort of um, journey for me to go on. Um, yeah. And I think what's really important is that to realize that just because you, you've made that wrong choice or choice that mm. isn't necessarily along the line that you want, that you can still track back and, um, yeah, you know, go go in the path that you really want to live your life on. That's really powerful. And I think, you know, you sort of, 
talking that through in terms of the, the actual value of actually going through that. Um, as opposed to sort of, you know, making a completely different choice and never having to go through that process where you yeah. invariably are really introspecting about what you want to do in life and what you actually are, are built for and what you want to achieve as well. I think that's a really sort of powerful step. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, Vega. We actually had a question as well from our listeners. Sorry, I'm just bringing out these questions. In, in, in. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, we love our listeners. So yeah. <laughs> Our listeners, our listeners give awesome questions, and I think I've always told my guests that, like, yeah, look, like, just beware, my listeners give amazing questions. <laughs> but, yeah, so the one question was, how did you actually get into Vega, and why Vega? Um, and how did that sort of lead into to Gibbs as well? Yeah, so I think I kind of touched on a bit of that earlier when I said, mm. uh, you know, when I was imagining where would kind of fit with my new purpose and what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I, I had encountered Vega before because they'd done a couple of competitions with my school. I went to Crawford. Um, so that's how I kind of found my path and found my way there. And um, it was a really great decision. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was the right place for me to be. Um, the curriculum is, is super new and innovative, and they're they, you know, sort of teaching you the very forefront of, um, of the industry, specifically yeah. brand strategy. Um, mm-hmm. And... Then um, after I'd finished my degree, my BCom in strategic brand management, I kind of thought to myself, I'm not really ready to work. I don't know what it is that I want to go into. I mean, though I had always worked while I was studying, um, I'd always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was always selling something or, or teaching math and science on the side or tutoring or doing something. I didn't know. I didn't look at a job title and see, okay, that's exactly what I want to go and do. Um, yeah. I didn't that and get excited about it so I was I was quite overwhelmed with that when I finished my undergrad um I didn't really feel like I was ready to step into the working world and I thought that you know I need to get a bit more exposure because right now my business view is a bit like this and I wanted to kind of broaden my business view and that's kind of where I found myself to my journey to Gibbs um after I did my undergrad I then applied to do my postgrad in um Postgraduate Diploma in Business Administration, they call it PDBA. Yeah. So when you finish a, a, an undergrad, you can either go and do a specialized honors where you focus on one area and you do a thesis in it and you, you specialize. But I didn't want to carry on specializing in brand strategy. I figured that I'd found enough information there. I'd, I'd kind of developed the skills that I need to do, but I want to get that broader sense. And that's what mm-hmm. the PDBA kind of does for your kids. You, it's like a mini MBA where you can really get a broad business sense and get a lot more practical, hands-on experience. Um, and that was an unbelievable journey for me because getting into Gibbs was a completely sort of different experience to, to anything I'd done before. Um, you know, Gibbs, Gibbs promised to, that I would go on this amazing journey. And I yeah. kind of didn't really realize what was in for me um, because, you know, Gibbs, really focuses on the personal development side as much as the actual academic qualification. Mm. I think that was something that I really needed last year. I really needed to uh, go and kind of find myself and what it is that I love and what it is I'm passionate about and what I, what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I didn't want to go straight into work and just go and get a job for the sake of getting a job and not really love what I'm doing. Mm. And I think it's so important, right, the, the timing of, you know, when you enter the working world 
and not putting that pressure on yourself to say, well, actually, you know, it's time to go into work right away. It's actually realizing, hold on, I, I need to broaden my perspective. I need to, to broaden my skill set, which is obviously what you did. You already had a skill set. You already had a very good perspective of what the business world was like because of your sort of your past experience in that. But that sort of step to broaden it, I think, is really powerful. So right now, I mean, you're, you're, let's talk a little bit about your career. Um, you know, how would you sort of link your career to your purpose at the moment? While I was at Gibbs last year, I did a lot of self-exploration and discovery and trying to realize what it is that actually motivates me. I think people don't realize the power in, in fundamentally understanding what it is that makes them tick. I mean, not that I've found every nook and cranny of who I am, um, yeah. but I've tried to take some time to think about what truly makes me happy and motivates me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd initially wanted to kind of maybe go into some corporate marketing position or, or mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, but then I started realizing that it's going to be a bit too boxed in for me for now because I'm not going to be able to get experience with a lot of different types of businesses. It's only going to be one business and one department. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually had never kind of uh, considered the aspect of consulting before. I never, I didn't really know what it was. Um, and my perception of consulting was mm-hmm. always management consulting. Um, people that, you know, the BCGs, the Bains, all those sorts of things where it's very traditional and based on corporate level strategies and things like that. Yeah. So I, I hadn't considered it before. And then I started doing a lot of research and realizing that there's a lot more of a space um, in consulting and digital transformation. And mm-hmm. it's something I've always really loved, um, innovation and um, sort of creative thinking and things like that. And, um, then I found I found quite an awesome opportunity in that space um, to be in management consulting, um, yeah. but in a sphere that was really going to hone on on my my skill set and what I what I really want to do. Um, yeah. And I one of the one of the nice, sorry one of the nicest parts of um, of it was the autonomy of it all is that yeah. you could carve your own sort of destiny within a consulting firm based on different projects you go on um, mm. and kind of decide on your career and what you want to do um and and the the short-term sort of sprints of projects that you can be on is is quite awesome because you can do lots of different things and that's what i really loved about it i didn't want to be boxed in one specific area uh but that's what really motivated me to do that and in terms of my purpose i I don't know if anybody really knows what their purpose really is um i do think it's important to explore aspects of what makes you happy and what you want to do and so I think my my biggest aspect of my purpose is that wherever I want to go I want to um, evoke change and I want to be able to make a meaningful impact I don't want to just go somewhere and not not leave my mark and and that's Mm -hmm. what really motivates me and makes me happy is being able to change someone's perspective or their thinking or the way that they you know they see something whether they do something um Mm -hmm what maybe how, how they see their lives. Um, I think that's what really makes me happy and what I want to do with my life is constant awesome. evoke change. That is awesome. That I, I absolutely love that. I mean, to, to make an impact and to constantly evoke positive change. I think that's, that's incredible. So let's take a bit of a step back. So, you know, if I said to you that, you know, what would you say to somebody who doesn't know what they want to do right now. So I'm going to split this into three separate people. Person A, um, just really short, sweet, you'd say this, that to them. But person A is somebody in matric. 
what would you say to somebody who is in matric who um you know says tanya i have no idea what i want to do next um do i even want to go to varsity do i do i want to go get some other kind of training um do i want to go start a business do i want to go work for somebody um do i want to go get another sort of skill set that's person a person b someone in university first year like yourself when you were in university first year um and then person c is somebody who's working so what would you individually say to to those three separate let's start with person a which is somebody in the trick so taka it's quite funny because um as i think about this i i don't know if the stuff that i was saying would be so different amongst all those different sets of people yeah because i think i think the underlying um message that i would pull through to every single one of those people is mm. that nothing is set in stone and that you can make a decision and um still change your course uh we actually have this uh this methodology of project management and consulting it's called agile project management it's quite a buzzword at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sure you've come across it before i'm aware of it yeah and <laughs> agile agile all, all about incremental development it's all about um you know developing a solution that actually really ca- caters for the the needs of the consumer or the business need or whatever the case might be um mm-hmm. and i think there's such a there's actually such a strong parallel between um using agile to run your life um because often we think that it's so bloody important to have this this plan just much like how in corporates when we plan these projects um that you know we need to have a whole project plan of how everything's going to pan out from start to finish but actually what we've seen in these these waterfall type projects in, in corporates is that it doesn't actually end up the way that you want and you and you might end up creating something that the customer doesn't want or that the business doesn't need because you're not making these short incremental changes that actually are tested by real customers or or real people in the business and mm-hmm. so i'd like to apply the same sort of thing to to people's lives is that you don't need to have this big project plan for your life you don't need to plan every single thing because actually you your needs are going to evolve as a human and as a person throughout your life um yeah. and if, instead of you focus on having one dream having short sprints of of goals um short term goals that you want to achieve whether it is for now you want to come out of your degree or you want to um do something outside of if it's not even just part of your career if it's part of your 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 sport or your fitness mm. short mm. sprints and then reassess after your your goal and say well what is it that i learned from that what is it that i that i that i has changed what i want to do going forward um yeah. and you'll really start to realize that you can you can add your project management your life through these short little sprints of of planning something so that you don't wake up one day and have a life that you don't want that you yeah. you 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 actually really made decisions based on on what you need and what you love doing Mm, that's really awesome. Sure, that's and I have you know agile is like you said is really just about you know constantly evolving and constantly you know adapting and developing that sort of adaptability. So that's that's really awesome. So let's let's take a bit of a step back. Let's you know calm it down a little bit, turn the temperature down a little bit. You know let's let's turn it down a little bit. So let's let's get to know you a little bit better, right? Um, so tell us a little bit about your your daily routine um you know so what's a typical day in your life um and actually one of the questions from the listeners was around you know so you know pre sort of covid um you know what's your sort of daily sort of type routine so let's let's 
Let's stick to that. Um, and is it what you expected as well? So it's so funny because that word routine, I hate that word. I told you that I love change. Um, but that's why I'm in consulting is because everything is constantly changing. Um, yeah. So it's quite funny because I, right now, because I'm in the consulting space, you know, the um, I would say there's, there's normal Tanya and there's project Tanya because when I'm on a project, life yeah. is so hectic and chaotic. I mean, a typical day is wake up very early, you know, around half past five or something, um, and mm. then I go and horse ride for about an hour or so, get back, get re- get dressed, um, so that we were on our first call um, before we we go into um, client meetings. So sort of starting at about quarter to quarter to eight, um, and then we'd be on calls with clients the whole day, um, trying to execute yeah. the project virtually. So we're not seeing people, and that's where it's very different different to running normal projects. Yeah. Um, in consulting is you go, you typically go to a, a client and go and execute the work there. So right now we, we are, we've seen in all these different projects that we are actually executing all of our work remotely and through, pardon me, through calls um, and through these virtual collaboration platforms. And it's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but it is madness in the project. Uh, you have little time for lunch, you have little time for anything else. You find yourself working until probably um, about five or six with the clients, and then um, yeah. you have to take a step back and possibly um, do your own work. Um, mm-hmm. So it's quite hectic, and then most of the time I'm so tired that I'll um, I'll just watch watch a series or prepare for the next day or go to bed <laughs> so that I can be ready for the next day. Um, that's Project Tanya, um, and then sort of non-Project Tanya has a bit more of a relaxed life. That uh, you know, doing proposals and things, getting things ready for for new clients, trying to win work. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a bit more time to, to exercise and not just, uh, not just go full, full speed ahead. But, yeah. you know, really has, um, has tipped things on, you know, everybody is dealing with this problem at the moment of, of work life balance. And mm-hmm. I think the, the biggest change that I didn't really think about was just how, um, you know, when you're in a virtual environment, there's just no boundary and you can so easily just, Stay, stay so consumed on your computer and in calls and that that you don't really realize that you haven't really stepped and got something to eat or a cup of coffee. I think yeah. that possibly I'm a very sociable person. I love people. And I think that is very different from what I was expecting Yeah. from, you know, if I were to stay, if I, if I were to think about what I was expecting with consulting, I thought I'd be around a lot more people. But yeah. we've really had to reimagine the way that we do it. And it's been unbelievable in the various interactions we've had and um, you've got to just keep things light, light-hearted and funny all the time um, to just keep keep the spirits up and the morale up. So we do regular Zoom dance parties, um, lots of lots of fun. Yeah. Very nice. So tell me, are you are you a morning or evening person or both? It's so funny. I don't know. People have asked me that before because I can get up in the morning and be so happy and excited, but I can also work throughout the night. Yeah. Um, and be quite easily, quite happy at like two o'clock in the morning working a lot, you know. So I'd say I'm both, really, because I'm vibrant. I mean, I, I'm vibrant all the time, I, I'd say, except when yeah. someone can give me a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, that's, I, I was going to ask you, you know, what what meal are, are you craving once, once restaurants are open? But um, restaurants are obviously open now in South Africa. Um, but, you know, what... Which coffee place did you go to first is probably my my sort of other question. 
Papa, you're you're a um, you're a coffee lover just like me, and I think you yeah. love for Seattle coffee. <laughs> we absolutely love it. Papa's uh, yeah. posting Instagram stories of Seattle, and so am I. So. Yeah, I, I love Seattle coffee, but also have a whole bunch of other coffee stores that um, in the community that I just love, you know. Thursdays, DC yeah. Coffee, um, you know, Brewtown, all in my area. Oh, now, oh, Fourth Avenue Coffee Roasters, they make the best coffee. All oh, of them, yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, there's a, a huge community element. Like, I have my coffee people ev- everywhere. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I... Uh, you know, missed so much of when we were in hard lockdown was just not seeing my coffee people all around Joburg because, you know, you just, you missed that interaction. So, yeah, yeah oh, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's dive into digital transformation, right? Um, and particularly, you know, of companies in South Africa. So for the sake of our listeners and for somebody who has no idea what we are talking about when we say those two words, digital transformation, what do you understand it to be? So the way that the way that I typically explain what digital transformation is to, to just about anyone is it's essentially future proofing your business. It's ensuring that your business is going to remain competitive for years to come based on the decisions that you make now, based on analyzing every aspect of market trends, um, you know, what your customers are doing, what what internally what's happening in your business and ensuring that you take all of that together and, and encompass it in this one amazing organization that's constantly changing and enabling, um, you know, ra- decisions um, that essentially um, will, will allow for that competitive nature of the business to remain for years to come. Okay, so what would you say is the need? Why is the, why is the need for us to digitally transform now so great? So what what is it that makes this need so great for us in South Africa to digitally transform right now? You know, um, there's another buzzword, tougher that we always come across, and that's the, the dawn of the fourth industrial revolution. Um, yeah. And there's, there's just so much um, uncertainty around it and how, you know, how are we going to change as people and as businesses and how, how is that going to, um, going to transform, you know? And I think... <laughs> The dawn of this this industrial fourth industrial revolution has has made it more prevalent than ever for us to be for for businesses to be able to um, ensure that their offerings are are linked to what people actually really want and need in the market. Um, but not only that, but that they they are catering for the needs of their employees. Um, and I think it's really important right now because otherwise these businesses are not going to be here in 10 years' time. Um, if you don't see the need to innovate and change the way that you're doing business, you are, you're not going to be here because, um, you know, all these little startups and um, fintechs and all these businesses that are so agile and nimble will, will come and eat your market share quicker than, than you can say the word innovate um, because it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge problem because um, I think they, a lot of these businesses have underestimated the power of all these other little new entrants, and I think um, yeah. nobody that can do your job better than than, than you, um, and I think it's really important that you that you ensure that you make decisions that keep you at that position within the market and or grow your market share um, yeah. as a business rather than um, allowing what you've always done, um, we'll do what we'll always do type mentality, and that'll keep us growing and successful. Actually, no. And you're yeah. actually vulnerable when you're your most successful because exactly, yeah. businesses don't realize that the, 
the decisions that they made yesterday are not going to be the ones that are going to, um, you know, equip them with the tools for tomorrow. Absolutely. And it's, it's almost what you're basically saying is businesses have to remain agile, right? And part of that agility yeah. is, is the sort of digital transformation journey. So, I mean, with that, what is your your assessment of where South Africa is right now with the digital transformation journey? And, you know, coupled with that, what do you think are the biggest barriers for us in our digital transformation journey at the moment? Jeez, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough one to say with South Africa because there's, if we look at a lot of our industries, we have a lot of amazing businesses that are coming through um, that are both as little startups, but also as uh, legacy businesses. And we have quite, our yeah. banking is amazing. But the problem is, um, I'd say we are not doing so well, especially with the, the big legacy businesses, because we we haven't really innovated and we've just carried on going with the same stuff we've always been doing. So I think that's why some of these amazing little startups and South African startups are, are so exciting to watch because, um, you know, they are really looking at the, the, the trends that are going in the market and, and, and creating these amazing little businesses. Um, so yeah. I, think, I think there is definitely... Um, some, some potential, but I don't think that we were nearly up there with uh, some of the some of the rest of the world, the businesses around yeah. and the culture around yeah. digital information there. I think mm. the big problems in South Africa um, is that you know it takes a lot of time and efforts and and resources to be able to actually digitally transform an old legacy type business because you have a lot of um, baggage, um, you know, the legacy behind it, um, and you don't want to release that. And I think that mentality has what hindered a lot of our, our big businesses from actually transforming. And I think yeah. the mentality around that, oh, let's just slap an app. Let's just make a piece of tech that we, we're going to do. And then we're actually not really realizing what it actually takes to deliver a solution that, that our customers really want. Because um, we, we think that tech is going to save us, but by creating an app or a new website or a new dashboard, but it's, yeah. it's we got nothing to do with the tech. Mm, mm. So leading on from that, you know, so tell me about what you think, you know, makes a successful digital transformation strategy um, within an organization. So what are the sort of key key building blocks for that? So, Taf, I think that uh, one of the biggest things that people underestimate, and I, I touched a bit on it just now, was that it actually takes um, a transformation from the heart, and that's the people. People yeah. even. Because, um, as I said, you know, you can take a piece of tech, um, an app, a dashboard, um, a whole new system that you've built and slap it all together and expect, well, this is the most amazing, you know, piece of technology that we have and this is why we'll be transformed mm -hmm. and this is what we're going to do well. And it actually doesn't make an impact at all because you fail to realize that yeah. you have different beings in your business. Yes. Those are the people that are going to execute your change. Yes. And so I think... What makes a digital transformation strategy truly successful is, is if you take the heart of the organization of your people and ensure mm -hmm. that you equip them um, with, with the tools to actually carry out the change and that you don't need other people to come in and, and create a new solution for you, but that yeah. the, the innovation and the ideas come from within the business. And that yeah. comes from focusing on, on your people and the skills of your people and um, mm equipping them with the tools to be able to, to sustain that. So, um, yeah, I, I touched on a bit earlier, and I think 
you know, I'm just thinking now your question about what are our biggest barriers in South Africa? I think one of our mm. biggest is the skills. We just yeah. don't have, we're not, we don't have um, a culture of innovation that's coming through our universities and things um, and, mm. and our, our schools that are equipping our, yeah. um, our generations to be able to, to cope with the, the rapid need to be able to, you know, cater for all these big, big changes and problems um, within the world. Um, so that's another aspect of it is just, you know, equipping your staff with, with the tools to be able to execute on um, of being a fully, fully digitally transformed business. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's incredibly powerful. It's, it's almost strange that it's, it's really sort of paradoxical that the digital transformation involves technology, but actually at the heart of it is, is people, as you rightly point out. That's, a, that's a, a very sort of key point. So if, you know, what do you think, building onto that, what are the things that companies most underestimate um, in terms of the impact and the effort um, in, in digital transformation? So I, I think they mostly underestimate how how difficult it is to be able to successfully implement it from end to end um, yeah. um, in terms of transferring the needs and the skills to their staff and the people, yes. yeah. um, having the infrastructure to do so. I think they underestimate um, the need for, for leaders to be able to um, lead their people through this change and not just... Um, instruct them on it and just tell them, well, this is this is what's going to happen and not actually really um, help their people through the change and help their business through the change. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what they really underestimate is, is the fact that their decisions, a lot of leaders make these decisions um, to, to execute a new piece of tech and they don't realize the impact on their people. Um, yeah. I keep talking about people, but people are what drive digital transformation and not technology. Technology merely enables digital transformation. Yes. Whereas our people are the ones that are going to execute it. And I think your leaders really underestimate um, that they themselves need to make positive changes um, in the way that they, the way that they've structured the business. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't expect your employees to be able to, um, creatively think if you haven't made an environment for them to do so. Um, yeah. So it's about the culture, it's about innovation, it's about um, collaboration and, and ensuring that your, your your employees are equipped to to carry out that change. That's really powerful. That's I mean, that's so awesome. And what you're really talking about is a, is a people-centered strategy, right, and, and, and focusing on that. So, and, and if I just sort of build on that, you know, what do you think – is the role of the youth um, in executing the strategy. So, so what role can the youth play in this? As I alluded to earlier, I, I sometimes worry a bit with you know, our, the, the type of skills we are teaching through our education system within South Africa. Mm. Um, mm. And mm. You know, I, I, think, I think there's such a huge role for um, encouraging people to become entrepreneurs um, in terms of how, how we think. I mean, you yeah. don't have to be um, an entrepreneur starting your own business to be an entrepreneur. You can be an entrepreneur within a, within a business. Um, yeah. An entrepreneur is what a lot of people call it. So mm-hmm. I think the role that the youth have to play on this is um, for, for the youth to, to actually get the skills to be able to, um, to carry out these digital transformations within businesses because they have mm-hmm. the fresh perspectives already. Um, 
but it's also not just hard skills. It's, it's what we call soft skills. Um, so um, I don't necessarily like the term soft skills because it's actually so hard to have a good soft skill, if that makes sense. Um, yes. Soft skills yes. are the most difficult skills to, man- to, to, to master. Um, mm. Communication, collaboration, being curious, creative thinking, all those sorts of difficult traits, um, they, they, they're very hard to be able to cultivate. And that's where the youth really have to um, take on the role of, of developing those skills. Yeah. Um, and emotionally intelligent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really powerful. And so, you know, how how do we how do we build that generation um, of digital leaders? So, where do we actually start in order for us to to build that generation of digital leaders in your mind? So, I, I alluded to it a bit earlier as well um, with the aspect of emotional intelligence, um, and I really believe yeah. that. People don't realize the power of being truly emotionally intelligent um, because yes. people think that um, being emotionally intelligent is about managing relationships with other people when it's mm-hmm. actually only one tiny little component of it because being truly emotionally intelligent is not only being um, aware of your relationships, but it's about being aware of people. It's about yeah. being aware of yourself and also mm-hmm. managing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. so in order for us to to really and truly build a legacy of digital leaders that are going to be able to carry out these massive changes and all um, these amazing businesses, we need to be emotionally intelligent and be able to really understand ourselves and um, how our decisions are going to affect other people. And that's what that's what being emotionally intelligent is about. Um, and I'm not saying that I've mastered anything about it. I mean, I went through that whole journey last year of really yeah understanding what it is that makes you tick, because that's that's the first aspect of being emotionally intelligent, is understanding yeah. yourself, your flaws, who, mm. you, who you really are, you know, from start to finish, your, your good side and your bad side, and being able to manage both of yeah. those sides. Um, yeah. Because that's where the element of being a leader is that element of responsibility of how you how you make these changes and you expect your, your employees or, um, you know, mm. people to carry it out, you need to be able to understand how your decisions impact your employees. And that comes from being self-aware and managing yourself and being socially aware and managing those relationships. Mm, that is that is so critical. I mean, you, you've really touched on, you know, the heart of, of being able to, to invest in a generation, right, and being able to actually create that generation for the future. And so finally on digital transformation, right, so to the small business owner, um, you know, what would you say to them? How, where did they actually start in this digital transformation journey? How did they digitally transform, right, whilst also balancing their balance sheet as well? So it's, it's quite funny because I think people always feel that digital transformation um, takes a lot of money and yeah. budget. It doesn't. It's, it's, mm. it's being digital is not about tech. It's about thinking and it's yeah. about being curious and being creative and um, and I, I think a small business owner, the best thing a small business owner can do is um, to not be afraid of, of what the, the, the youth or, or not even just the youth, the people within the business have to say about certain things. It's yeah. about encouraging that freedom of thinking and that innovation culture that's going mm-hmm. to enable um, that, that digital transformation. Um, and, I, and you know what? It's, it's so funny because the 
the, the irony is that people are saying, well, how am I going to change everything that I really do? But it's actually essential for you to change what you're going to do yeah. because you won't remain competitive. And that's exactly. why, as a small business owner, we need to we need to encourage um, constant innovation and change so that so that you can remain competitive, that you can stay there, so that tomorrow your business will still be there. Because mm-hmm. we need small businesses in in South Africa. We need far more entrepreneurs that are that are building these businesses. Yeah. So that's what I would that's what I would say to them. Yeah, and that's a really awesome piece of advice. And to any small business uh, leaders, entrepreneurs, or um, future entrepreneurs, I hope that you're taking notes by this point. If not, rewind and start again <laughs> because Tanya's Tanya's giving us some some really awesome. Uh, pieces of information yeah thanks you, you know um collaborate all those all those amazing way new ways of thinking of working um mm. fresh ideas and also don't be afraid to admit that you are not the most intelligent or clever person in the room yeah um, i think that that comes from being self-aware is being able to look and say well i'm not actually the most intelligent person or i don't always know the answer but it's mm. about approach finding that answer and collaborating with other people and that's what a small business owner should do is is encourage that collaboration within their businesses so that they get new ideas and and build a culture that enables them to be there tomorrow that's really awesome sure that's really really powerful let's talk creating shared value right um so i love i love this topic so unpack it for me what is what is your understanding of shared value? What is it? Gee, so, you know, Tafa, we, we really live in a world full of a lot of problems. Um, mm. You know, these wicked problems, as they as they call them. Um, poverty, mm. um, you know, uh, uh, lack of, of, of food and water, and global warming, climate change, all those sorts of big problems that exist in the world. Yeah. And it's, it's always been the idea that, well, we can't solve all of them and who actually tries to tackle and solve them. It's, it's all yep. these NGOs and it's governments and it's volunteers. It's a charity. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, an, it's an afterthought to a lot of people. Yep. So I think that, that's what's traditionally been the mentality is that I'm going to give money to a cause that's going to try and fix this problem. Yes. What Shared Value talks to is it's quite incredible that you don't actually, you don't need to... Uh, you don't need to truly be, um, you know, an NGO or someone who only focuses on that to be able to help us solve the problem. Yeah. And where, sh- where shared value is, it's actually where business really meets um, social problems. It's it's having a business that solves a social problem with the business model. And because I think businesses feel that they that they can't do both at the same time. I think they feel that they need to, um, you know, be uh, do it at the expense of society, make a profit at the expense of society, but it's but it's not true. You can mm. exploit, and I should only use the exploit. I would say, hop onto that amazing opportunity that mm. lies to be able to bring value to people while still making a profit. And the reason why that's so important is because some of the the, the NGOs of the world, um, it's not sustainable um, to rely on donations and 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 um, money from from the government to be able to help. Help that, and that's where that's why we're not solving these big wicked problems because we can't scale them. It's, yeah. it's just there's that constant need for for solving unlimited problems with limited resources. And yes. when and and when we do have um, a profit coming in, um, is 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 where we can why we can scale um, 
those solutions. So shared value is really just about um, having uh, a, solving a social problem with, with a business model attached mm-hmm. to it, so that you can actually solve a problem um, by actually still making money. And, yeah. and that, that's what it is to me. What you're describing there is, is, to me, sounds like, you know, sustainable change, right? So a sustainable change that, you know, can really be built into a business model, as you rightly point out, right, and can actually address continuously and not just on a one-off basis, right, continuously address the social needs as well. So what do you think is the difference between, you know, creating shared value or CSV, as, as people call it, and corporate social responsibility? So CSR, CSV, Lots of, I think a lot of people might think that you're referring to corporate social responsibility, right, by now. What do you think is the difference between the two? So, you know, the thing is with CSR um, is that it's always viewed as a separate part of the business. It's, you know, it's not it's not linked to profit. So, yes, we, you know, we are being more eco-friendly in our business. We are um, going on Saturdays to go and do volunteering. Um you know, it's, it's kind of also limited by our, our corporate budget. Um, mm. Whereas creating shared value is actually saying, well, we are going to find opportunities that are going to um, be linked to our profit. So we're going to mm. find, so, so we can still solve these problems while making a profit. We, mm. for example, um, one of the biggest problems in the world is financial inclusion. Yeah. And, I feel like it's it's just an incredible um, opportunity that's still sitting there in the market. That pe- I mean, there are some businesses that are trying to tackle it, but mm. that's a wicked problem that there are not there are people all over the world that don't have access to to financial services, and it's, mm. it's a huge problem. We have an unbanked population everywhere, but there lies an opportunity for a business to go and not exploit exploit the people, but mm. to go and actually create a solution that's going to help those people. That's going to enable them to um, send money um, over borders, cross-border payments, or to um, to be able to transact um, and 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 save money and not be exploited by informal lending and loan sharks, get access to credit, all sorts of things. Um, you can create a business all around that and still make money. You don't have to help someone and 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 just carry on giving giving money to them. You can actually really truly make a solution. That, that yields a profit. And, and yeah. that's why people need to differentiate the ideas of CSR and CSV is that mm-hmm. CSV actually is about building a sustainable business. It's saying that you need to be able to make a profit um, yeah. in order to help, you help people. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it has to be a balance. That's why it's shared value. The value is shared. It's not just the business getting the economic value, but it's the society getting the societal value. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really powerful and really profound. So ultimately, in a South African context, right, the implementation of, of this principle, how can it change the way that we do business in South Africa? So there are some businesses that have kind of delved into the idea of CSV. I don't mm. know if we have, uh, we, 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 I don't know if some of the bigger businesses really have. Uh, I still they, I, I still feel like they're stuck in the idea of well, CSR, you know, it's just it's a separate part of our business, what we do on weekends, it's, it's not yeah. something we do every day. I think um, it's, it must be something that you wake up every single day um, and do, and it must be embedded in your business decisions. And in South Africa, we, we have such a huge opportunity to, to, to kind of uplift our entire population and, and, and community all over 
South Africa through enabling people within communities to to um, have jobs. For example, mm. you know, they we have a lot of a lot of people that are living below the poverty line, and it's it's, it's horrendous. Of but the problem is that you know there are all these um, initiatives to raise money and, and get food and um, collect goods and that to donate. But that's a once-off thing. Yes. Something that happens once a year or, or, or once every few a uh, few months, and then what happens to those people when when all of that runs out? When all of the resources, the money, the um, what whatever was given to them and donated. So yes. you actually help someone more by giving them a sustainable solution in terms of giving them a job, teaching yes. them a skill, and then then by constantly giving them money. So mm. in South Africa, we have such an such exciting opportunities to to take people that don't have any skills and mm. And, and, and train them up to be able to to perform um, um, business business um, activities and things so that you, as part of your supply chain. Yeah. Um, and the reason why this will also yield business benefits is because um, if, if if we have more more um, more people within the community earning money, we have mm. yes we have we have more people that are going to be able to spend money um, and it's going to stimulate local economic activity. Um, and the thing is, we actually need to bring everybody up. We, you know, right now we live in a we live in a, a country that is so economically divided in terms of our inequality that um, there's been so many studies shown and so many case studies done with in the developing economic space showing that mm-hmm. us uplifting everybody, we actually will help ourselves and our businesses. Yeah, and a big, you know, one of the biggest roles our, our South African businesses have to, is to look at their look at their supply chains. Why are, we, why are we only getting goods from China? Why are we only importing goods? Why can we not try and, and look at all these little entrepreneurs in the community that are making things that we can actually link with them to be able to make a business? Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's where the role really is. And, and create that sustainable link, right? I mean, yeah. and not just a once-off, okay, cool, that's it, right? It's actually about how do we create a sustainable link that will alter um, families, right, of today, but also families of tomorrow and families of ten years' time. I, I, I really, I really think you've you've touched on something so important there. And so finally, you know, what is the role that the government can play in all of this? So, is there a space for government to play in in the creating of shared value in our economy? It is quite a tough question, that. Um, I would say that the, the biggest role that they can play is to to, to show their stance on encouraging social entrepreneurship and um, mm-hmm. and and to to give incentives, sort of tax benefits and things to businesses that are doing good for communities in the form of creating those societal businesses. And yeah. I don't again, I don't mean doing good for the community. Ah, oh, let's go and drop off food. Let's go and mm-hmm. I'm talking about businesses creating actual businesses that are that are socially Socially um, responsible, but driven by this underlying um, sustainable profit. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, th- I think businesses should. I mean, a government should should um, so, sort of have tax benefits and things for these businesses because if they actually those businesses are going to be the ones that do government's job in in terms of helping helping communities and that. Because if they can fix a problem with a sustainable solution, that problem will never happen ever again. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's that's really powerful. And I think that's so important what you said there is that actually it 
it enhances the implementation of, of government strategy as well. It's actually not something which which is a push pull. It's actually we both we both pushing in the same direction. We both want to change South Africa for the better, right? Exactly. So Tanya, thank you so much. Um, this was sure. <laughs> I think I need to watch this back and uh, make some notes. Like sure, that was quite a lot. And I think anybody who who has you know has listened up to this point and hasn't. Um, you know, taking a look at the pre-readings that are up on the website, do take a look. Some awesome uh, insights on digital transformation, as well as creating shared value as well. Um, and we'd love to, to hear from everybody, you know, what they thought and what their thoughts are on how we can actually, you know, digitally transform South Africa, whilst also creating shared value in the process, right, as well. Um, and Tanya, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on to the show, for just an awesome awesome episode a lovely chat it really just kind of felt like you know we just started the show but uh it's we're really sort of just under an hour in so i just want to thank you so much for for taking us on the journey of your life firstly um and the lessons that you learned through that i think that was incredibly powerful for anybody you know who who might be sort of wrestling with what is it that they want to do and you know also broadening their perspectives and you know being intentional in that and i also want to thank you as well for you know educating us on, you know, what digital transformation is, um, inspiring us in terms of how we can implement this in our in our society and in our economy, as well as creating shared value as well. I just really want to thank you so much for, for coming out to the show. And I think, you know, we there's a couple of things that you were talking about where I was like, you know what, I'd really love to talk to Tanya about that next time. So I'd really love to have you back on the show sometime in the future as well. Papa, thank you so much for having me. It's been so great to um, to be given the space to talk freely about some of the the most incredible topics that are currently going on and, and mm-hmm. things that are world. Um, and I think this is such an amazing um, podcast that you've started because we need to have these these conversations, thank these you, thank conversations that are going to help change the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm I know anything about anything in the world, but um, I'm I'm glad that. I'm glad that I was able to share just my little bit of what I've what I've come across. So thank you so much for having me and um, wishing all the best with us in the future. And I, I look forward to the next one. I'm so excited to see who, who you have next. No, wonderful. Thank you so much, Tanya. And uh, keep safe, uh, keep healthy, wash your hands, wear a mask, um, you know, take all the necessary precautions until we meet again. Awesome. Thanks, Tafa. Have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. I hope that you were impacted positively and that you found substance and significance whilst listening to the episode. Head over to the Impactful Conversations website at impactfulconversations.co.za to find out more about the show. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to my episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube and search Impactful Conversations. Thank you to all who have listened in and subscribed. Why not share the episode with a family member or a friend who you think could be positively impacted? Anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.